Kyle Hansloven is the CEO and co-founder of Huntress. Prior to Huntress, he co-founded and built a defense consulting firm, Strategic IO, worked as a senior cyber vulnerability analyst at publicly traded defense firm Mantech, and won the World Series of Hacking, DEFCON's Capture the Flag competition. He's still active in the ethical hacking community. Earlier, Kyle spent over a decade supporting offensive cyber operations within the U.S. intelligence community and began his career as a non-commissioned officer in the Air Force. Kyle, welcome to Frontline Founders, a podcast that showcases military veterans who've gone on to success as founders and builders of technology companies. Big thanks for having me, Rennie. Obviously, uh, great to catch up with you as well. Thanks, Kyle. Kyle, we're going to trace through your, your military background and, and your entrepreneurship overall. Before we do, let's start by talking briefly about what do you do today as the CEO and co-founder of Huntress? So it turns out nobody warns you as like a technical or you know, a technical founder or prior service founder that uh, your job is going to change every single year your startup goes longer and longer. You almost have to like fire your old self and uh, grow your new skills or you just won't keep up. So nowadays, uh, way less involved in the product, not in the weeds, really helping our team scale, moving from founder led all the way to executive led. And really now most of our effort is on leadership driven. Really, how do you help those middle level leaders own kind of both strategy and own the execution of strategy from the bottom up? And it turns out that's like way harder than getting things started. Uh, so that, that's, that's pretty much what I do most days is a lot of knowledge transfer, helping people scale. Right. Right. And, and Kyle, could you describe what is it that Huntress does? Yeah. So you could imagine prior air force, prior time at NSA, almost all of our, you know, people that we worked with were government or very large business in, in some way, uh, you know, sense or form. However, when I left, I, I kind of left out of the service going, okay, if we've got all these awesome, amazing enterprise security players out there, who's kind of helped protect the 99% that fall below that enterprise poverty line. And so Huntress is laser focused on those 2000 employee companies and below all the way down to the S, like the small in the SMB and trying to figure out like, hey, how could I distill my knowledge, my expertise, both into a product that's, you know, fits in their budget. But really, how do you make those most junior technical talent into that cybersecurity expert? Uh, so you could imagine it's kind of killing two birds with one stone, making junior companies be able to afford the product to protect against the threats, but also empowering junior technical people to kind of do more with their skill set. So that's Huntress in a nutshell. And Kyle, let's let's talk about your your own military service and and that part of your career before you turned into an entrepreneur. Could, could you talk to us briefly about your own, your own call to serve and, and, you know, how and when you ended up uh, starting your, your career in the military? So I've always been a punk kid, uh, you know, techno nerd growing up on the early days of AOL. And it turns out, uh, you know, I, I had a service, you know, calling probably because it was post 9-11. I was also in junior ROTC. It was Navy at that time. And uh, so I like the camaraderie. I like giving back, but I didn't realize that those two worlds could connect, right? I was, if you think about the AOL days, Rennie, I was like using tools like Sub7, these old hacking tools and stuff that were like, nowadays you'd call me a script kitty. Uh, but it turned out, you know, just in early 2000s, I had the opportunity. I got an acceptance or a full ride to the Naval Academy. 
And like a bozo, I decided on my 17th birthday to turn it down and I enlisted in the Air Force. They guaranteed my job and comms. But, uh, you know, in hindsight, it's worked out pretty well. They, they gave me a lot of the skills I needed. I managed to go overseas, get to work for a lot of cool, you know, both other, other government agencies and a couple cool deployments. And, uh, you know, I guess the rest is history now. Right, right. And so, so was it, were you a, a senior in high school when you, I mean, you, you'd gotten the opportunity to go to the Naval Academy. What, what was it? Was it just the, the, the guaranteed role in the Air Force or, or what caused you to, to, to go Air Force instead of Navy at that time in your life? I could imagine my parents were, were not overly happy with, cause you know, getting a, a ride to any Academy usually means you need like a congressional referral or, you know, have a family member or something like that that can help. And we didn't have that. Uh, but for me, it was, I graduated early, like 16. And so I was already waiting to go. Like you, you can't join the armed services even at 16 with a parent consent. You got to wait till 17. And because of the way that kind of the dates fell, it just wasn't going to work for me. I was impatient. I wanted to make a difference. I was hungry. I had friends who had already gone. Um, I also had a Marine Corps, you know, uh, I guess we'll call it a mentor that said, listen, I've been to every base around the world, you know, from a Marine to air bases to Army, et cetera. He said, I like you a lot, Kyle, but I can tell you the Air Force gets treated a little bit better. Uh, and as a computer geek, I suggest you're better cut out for the Air Force. So I don't know if that was like a backhanded telling me I'm a weenie. And he's probably right. But uh, in hindsight, for me and comms and cybersecurity, it was the best decision for me. So, Right. And, and, and the Air Force has been early on their understanding and enabling talented service members to, to serve in those, like you said, first communications and then more cybersecurity capacities. Yeah, nobody talks about it anymore. But you remember like what the word cyber used to mean in like the late 90s? It was like something dirty you were doing on a chat room. It was definitely not what we call cyber now. So uh, yeah, they were, they were early enough and um, they did a pretty good job of allowing, you know, a lot of like enlisted, similar to like the special forces community, do a really good job at saying, hey, it's about your ability to execute not your degree, not your leadership level per se, but your ability to execute as a leader. And that kept me from, you know, I stayed enlisted the entire time. I had opportunities to commission. I just, uh, for me, we don't have warrants in the Air Force. So it was the right uh, path for me to stay enlisted my entire time. Even into the National Guard, I stayed, uh, you know, I think for me about 16 total years. Right, right. And and what years you mentioned it was just post 9-11 when you were in high school. What years did you end up serving as a NCO in the Air Force? Yeah, so, you uh, you know, in the Air Force, I think I made NCO by 2004, 2005. Yeah, so a couple years in at that time, you could imagine ROTC helped me get the first couple stripes. Uh, and the one benefit is like, I look in hindsight, I was probably 20, so maybe three years in running a team of five to eight. And oddly enough, now in startup world, I look back at myself and I'm like, you know, we have sometimes that they're player coaches managing that, but truly is like, Hey, I am the administrative leader there running a team of five to eight by 20 years old. Like it gave me some real big advantages on understanding what it meant to lead, you know, and oftentimes to be the best leader, you should also be the best follower or first to be a follower before you be a, you know, a, a leader. And those are some of those things that have given me massive advantages when it came to like scaling, running the startup, even at this stage where I'm trying to build my middle level leaders out. So um, it makes me feel crusty, but I, I guess I'm coming up on about 20 years in that NCO type position or middle level leader experience. 
Right. And something that many high growth technology company founders don't have is prior experience leading teams and everyone makes mistakes, but it seems like you, you, you had, you know, a, enough years, uh, of, of, of having led people already before, uh, before Huntress, um, Kyle, could you talk, give us some, a few highlights, you know, what, what you can talk about or, or choose to, um, and, and any highlights you mentioned going, going overseas, a couple of other things fr from that time in the service generally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you from horizons, right. Uh, really broadened just the way that I look at life, getting to work with not only like our U S intelligence community, but in the UK, I work very closely with, you know, uh, GCHQ is the NSA equivalent in the UK. So you get to learn, you know, different laws, how they apply different tactics and to be honest, cooperation, that type of stuff like matters a whole lot. Um, even work-life balance, as simple as it sounds like our team has a whole bunch of threat hunters on it. And a lot of the way that U.S. companies handle this is they put people on shift work. Same thing you do in the military often. You might have, you know, 12s or something. But in the civilian world, that doesn't always work that well. So you kind of have to adapt from your experiences you learned abroad. And so when Huntress's implementation of how do we do follow the sun threat hunting, we uh, decided we were going to follow the sun geographically as well. So you could imagine uh, when the day is beginning, right? You've got our team there in uh, eastern coast of Australia waking up. Again, another Five Eyes team. It then moves to the west coast of Australia. They then, you know, move to the team that's in the UK, right? So picking up from our UK experience, it then goes east coast, west coast US, followed by Hawaii and back to the team in Australia. And so those are like little things that nobody thinks about in the service that actually like you be not being afraid to say, hey, I'm going to start an international company. Like that sounds crazy. But to be honest, if you already deployed internationally, had a lot of that common sense, got enough leadership skills, you realize like, oh, I don't have to have my people working night shift now. Everybody can enjoy time with their families. And that was the same coverage I was providing in like, you know, the UK is so other teams of the world could sleep. So just a one simple anecdote of a, you know, something that I picked up in the service that has made a monumental difference to our company where nobody's having to work nights and there's not like bad work-life balance. Right. And as as we wrap up the the military service before going into your your post military career, the the last question here is about the experiences from the Air Force that that set you up for in, for entrepreneurship. You've already answered some of them. Leader at a young age, the cooperation with um, with people in other countries and and other slightly similar but but slightly different um, types of organizations. Any, any other, any other ones that, that, that stick out to you from your time in the military? I can tell you one of the biggest advantages, despite all the, yeah, I was a nerd. I was working on technical stuff. Um, at least in the air force, we have a lot of emphasis on the ability to like present, right? Clearly present topics concisely, being able to represent them in minimal amount of words and, uh, confidence as well. Being able to look at an audience and whether you're doing an Intel brief you work in the fire department, you're just talking about what happened, right? If you're, you know, security forces in the Air Force, being able to explain what happened at the gate when, you know, you were forced to, you know, draw your weapon, things of that nature, like all of those opportunities and giving me the confidence to speak, uh, you know, for an entrepreneur, you're going to have to, especially if you're a founder, you're going to have to master that, right? If you can't give a pitch and concisely say what you're going to do and what the value is and how this value is going to cause somebody to separate a dollar from their pocket. 
uh, you're going to be paddling up a pretty rough uh, creek there. So my suggestion would be, uh, you know, for those armed services members that do listen, don't mistake how those non-tangibles are really helping you set up well for your next career. That's the, those are, those are great ones. And especially like, like you said, being able to the things that you may not even think about at, at, at the time, like the, um, the communication in, in always with, um, other countries with being able to brief it, it, et cetera. Kyle, what, when you left active duty on the military and from what you've said, you spent several years in the reserves, when you left active duty, what was your, what was your mindset about what you wanted to, to do next? And from what I understand, there was a step before you started your own company with some some colleagues uh, at 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 Mantech is is that correct? And and what was your thinking on on taking that opportunity at that time? Yeah, you nailed it. Like making any transition, especially from active duty. I was stationed in England. I had two kids that were like maybe six and four at the time. My wife and I hadn't been back to the states in seven years. So we're talking about just about anything that was odd. But um, the the tap or the transition assistance programs that they had, allowing me to spend time with like commercial players is what allowed me to say, you know what, I'm not quite ready to go full civilian, but defense contracting, right? I mean, it is as a civilian, you're still just working around a lot of the apparatus, you know. So I leveraged that, uh, Rennie, as a, all right, I, I want to make this big difference. I want to go off and do something. But defense contracting allowed me to go back to doing the work that I was qualified to do. It paid probably 50% more, 60% more than I was making. And, you know, throw benefits on there. It's probably even more after 401k. And so I, I was able to really walk away with a pretty solid next step that was also what I would say appropriate risk-based, meaning I didn't just have to jump in the deep end. I was able to put, you know, one leg in at a time and then submerse myself before really going, you know, Huntress is pretty extreme version of like jumping on out. Not that others couldn't do it, but for me, remember, I'm still a punk kid. I enlisted at 17, you know, seven years later, I may be like 24. So I'm really just not used to, you know, civilian life. And so anyway, the the long story short is that transition to being a defense contractor, working back for the, like the intelligence agencies, it, it was, uh, you know, like a duck to water for me. So I would always suggest that folks consider it, especially if they have a risk appetite that was more like mine at the time. Right, right. And it also, it, it also allowed you to get back to the, to the States. Is that right? Yeah, that's actually what brought me most of like the the real awesome offensive and defensive cybersecurity uh, tends to happen in the Beltway. There, you know, there's other places that have great like uh, talent, but if you look like per capita, there's a reason that the you know DC, Baltimore, if you you know between FBI, CIA, NSA, and plenty of other government agencies, Cyber Command, DISA, CISA, there's a reason that you could kind of uh, you know find both the opportunity to fit in. And the opportunity to, uh, you know, maybe advance. And that was, I wasn't done advancing yet. I, I kind of had to have a defense contractor because I was not ready to jump straight into founding a company out of the military. It just w was not there mentally. Right. And we'll, we will get to Huntress and, and Strategic IO briefly before Huntress. What, what was it? You, you mentioned you, you had a wife, you had two kids, young kids. You were just moving back to the States. You took the role at Mantech. Why stay in the reserves? Like why put that on yourself in addition to everything else you had going on at the time? 
So I, I know it doesn't apply to all of us, but for many of us, right? It's it's that bigger calling. Like I, you know, will promise not to let any of my investors to hear this, but I would still like I, I would go work there for free today if my time permitted it. I'd I like the the bigger sense of giving back. I like the camaraderie. Um, the National Guard was obviously doing the one week in a month, two weeks a year. It allowed me to maintain my clearance. Initially, I had no problems rolling over like my polygraphs and my uh, my top secret clearance into the National Guard. Um, in addition to it, there are some things if you in, in different jobs will be different things. But there are many times that you cannot do the equivalent of your job as a contractor, as a civilian. And that is very true in the more offensive side uh, of cybersecurity. So for me, it allowed me to fulfill some of it, scratch some of my itch as a contractor. And then one week in a month, two weeks a year, get to do some of the fun stuff still as a military member. And that was uh, that was a really cool perk for me. Makes makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Kyle, after Mantech, before Huntress, can you describe your what what you did between those two strategic IO? What 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 that is and was your co-founders for that and how that maybe how that led up to Huntress and then we'll spend the the bulk of the the rest of the time on Huntress itself. Yeah, I, I remember there's two really big keys that kind of uh, I look back and say, wow, those were way more instrumental than I expected. Um, being able to go from active duty into that contracting world allowed me to get confidence because to be honest, when I was jumping, I, uh, you know, everybody has imposter syndrome regardless of how successful they are, right? Um, you know, even folks that, that self describe themselves sometimes as sociopathic say they have their, themselves a hard time. So that just shows you how extreme it could be, uh, you know, and where I'm going with this is the defense contracting world allowed me to say, okay, I'm not cocky. I'm actually confident because I can do this job. And so the first thing I thought was, well, if I'm making this money and making a difference to the government. Sometimes government contractors lose contracts and win new contracts and they're always shifting. But I was, you know, I was allegiant to the mission, right? It wasn't just the company. It was, I was allegiant to our, you know, the government customers I was supporting. And so I ended up finding myself like, well, why don't I just contract to myself, start my own defense contracting company? And it wasn't too crazy. Like good groups, like there's AFSIA and some of those others out there that helped me kind of learn a little bit of the lay of the land, right? You, you know, you got to be able to talk the talk. You got to be able to learn some of the verbiage. But just like anything in the military, you can adapt with enough time and they're usually not too hard. And so for me, that was a cool pivot. And I would say that confidence building was one of the biggest things that that step in between me doing my own entrepreneurship goals. I just needed to get, make sure like, okay, I'm not full of it. I'm not lying to myself. I really can do this. And that's what it gave me. Number two, it let me network. And it turns out there are a lot of other prior service members out there just as motivated as me that wanted to do it. So my co-founder, Chris, he's Navy. He was already doing like, you know, some side hustle of small like consulting businesses commercially on the side. And so when him and I talked, uh, he was still figuring out what he was going to do. I was still figuring out what we were going to do. Oddly enough, we went and both created our own companies independent of each other. I did strategic IO. But that again, that was one more of those stepping stones of confidence. He went and did his own company that was more commercial. We both had exits about the same time of those companies. And that was the craziness that eventually led to me, a prior service na in Navy, uh, you know, gentleman and my, my other co-founder who was, you know, pure govy. We all ended up forming what was Huntress. So, you know, I, I just want to say like, there is some benefit. Sometimes everybody talks about, you got to crawl before you walk, you got to walk before you run. 
if you don't skip those steps and you do crawl, sometimes it will help you, you know, tenfold later on down the road when it comes time to, you know, do your big, you know, success or your big reveal or for us make a real big difference. So Kyle, Huntress, we're, we're what, you're about six years in at this point. Is that right? Yeah, about six and a half years. So it goes by quick. Six and a half years in, it's been in, in hyper growth mode. You, you've explained essentially the, the decision-making process to, 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 to start Huntress. Um, but could you talk about the early days of Huntress? I mean, you, you've, you, we will get to where you are in current day, but what, what were those early days like when, when it was just you and, and a couple of co-founders trying to, 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 to grow the business? And then, you know, what, when were those moments that, you hit inflection points that, that enabled this incredibly rapid growth. Yeah. Like, like most people that have ever founded or done anything, you think about it usually a lot longer before you start doing it. So even when I was at Mantech, I had some ideas of, wouldn't it be cool to build a product? When I started my defense contracting firm, I thought this is okay. I'm consulting back to the government. I am making really good money at that point, but it wasn't scratching the personal itch to make like that bigger difference. I was also getting to learn about people's pain points. Like that's something in the military, right? We all try to take care of each other. We try to support the mission, but it's a little bit different in the commercial world to say, all right, is that a pain point? Yes, but is that a pain point somebody's willing to pay money for? That is something that I didn't quite get in the military. I, even though I worked around acquisitions and I worked around some of the consulting, that time though, let me figure out like, okay, uh, I'm hungry to make a difference. I'm learning about value. And so it started sowing some of those seeds. And so for me and founders, we were having these same epiphanies of like, hey, do you feel like people would pay for making this go away? Like they could focus on whatever it is that they're doing special. And if we could take care of this hard stuff for them, I would pay for it. And so uh, I would say maybe the the cool moments of it being just some of the early founders I didn't realize how much time we had back then. Like we would just talk. Mm -hmm. I, you know, nowadays everybody calls it stealth, but there's no shame in spending your first couple of years figuring out how can I make a big difference? And so we did, you know, the first, you know, heck, Randy, when I, when I met you, we were still figuring out, we didn't have to pivot per se, but we were trying to figure out, okay, could we do this? Could we build the tech? Could we build it scalable? And so at that time, I kind of think I would have told you it felt lonely because um, it feels mm. like, to be honest, if, if anybody who's listening, especially in podcast format, think about looking at maybe two or three of you dancing in a field by yourself. That's kind of a crazy thought, right? Like you're like, hey, who are those crazies in a field? It turns out later now I've got you know 150 plus of us working with us right now, hiring 10 people every other Monday. And that's now a party, right? But in those first early couple years, you got to have a lot of confidence because it feels like dancing in a field by yourselves. And even though you all know it's about to be a big party, it takes a lot of confidence to be able to get there. And if I wouldn't have had all that confidence, not cockiness from those previous successes, I guarantee you, Rennie, I would, I would have thrown in the towel two years into Huntress. That is a, that is a really powerful <clears throat> analogy. And the, the uh, thinking about a, a party waiting to start is not, you know, you're there 20 minutes early. It's you're, you're out in that field for, for a couple of years, but before yeah. things really start to roll is, uh, is, 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 is a great point. And, and I also like the point you make about the crawl, walk, run to, to just 
if, if you tried to start what is now Huntress right out of the Air Force in t- instead of going first to a, a larger company and, and then to Strategic IO, the result may not have been um, may not have been the same. Likely would not have been. Yeah, so some of the listeners might say, well, I was taught hurry up and wait in the military. Yes, we were. And that's what gave me some of the patience. But, you know, some of founding a company, wh- whether you do services or product, wherever you decide to found, there's a lot that it's a mental thing too. Am I okay? Am I a failure that this has taken two years? Because you read all the books, you listen to all the podcasts, you only get to hear about things when they're really successful. But the reality is there's just like a, I would call Huntress a six and a half year overnight success. Anybody who talks to us today are like, hey, you guys are killing it. Hyperscale. But uh, it wasn't always that cute. It wasn't always that good. So I appreciate you calling attention to that. Yeah, no, I I, I think it's... Uh it's, it's, it's really important to, uh, to just recognize, to recognize the, uh, those, those lonely and, and, and hard earlier years. And, uh, and thank you for, for sharing that so candidly and not, not, not that, I mean, I, I I like to think that on our frontline founders podcast, the military veterans are pretty clear about how tough it really was, but I think it, it can be the case to, sometimes not always be as clear about what those hard years were like and, and that it was a foregone success, which of course it, it, it never is. Um, Kyle, you started Huntress in the DC area when, when we met, you know, over, over half a dozen years ago, you and I have, have not talked for, for quite a while. COVID has happened in the intervening, intervening time. Um, you're now at 150 employees. You said, what Huntress today, March 2022, two years into the pandemic, in hyper growth mode, do you think of yourself as a, and you've mentioned the various time zones where you have um, your, your, your team all over the globe. What, what about Huntress is a DC company today? What about it is international? T- talk about just the, the, the team and the nature of the team and where they are today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so starting out in DC and for anybody who's from anywhere else outside of DC, listening to this, um, especially if you're out of Silicon Valley, there is a little bit of like, it's animosity is not the right word, but it's something along those lines of almost maybe even envy of the Bay area. You think, Oh, there's the infrastructure. Oh, there's this. And we had some of that being a DC company, uh, growing up there in the Northern Virginia, Maryland area. We also had our strengths, which we knew we had, like the way we went about it was very capital efficient. We've never been the team of let's, let's just raise tons of money and then like spend it faster than we could do. You know, it was always about accountable, growing a good business, healthy margins, healthy EBITDA, et cetera. And so that part is very much, I would call it an East coast flavor, but our people strategy was very, very different. For instance, um, we knew even then from our whole international experience that why limit ourselves just to hiring in the beltway. Uh, And so one of the biggest things we did in 2015 is we declared we were going to be fully remote. Um, The team at Basecamp had written their books remote and rework. And so we were really excited to try this. Uh, Internet was also getting stable enough. You could do full on Zoom calls, but that was not popular. What I mean by that is when we went to raise one of our first seed rounds, one of our you know, verbals came with the requirement of, you will relocate everybody to Baltimore. 
And oddly enough, I, I, I gave this individual a call back after uh, we, we turned down the term sheet. We said, no, we, that, that didn't align with our own. That's going back to that confidence you got to have. And I said, hey, what do, what do you think post-COVID now uh, of fully remote workforces? <laughs> They're like, gosh, you, you really understood where some of this could go. And so, uh, again, that's, that's not necessarily a Baltimore or a D.C. Beltway type thing, but that uh, knowing what you want out of a business and not buckling, it's not that Silicon Valley you know, doesn't do that, but there's just such a formula that most of the Bay area works out of. It's very cookie cutter. You'll hit Y Combinator. You'll raise a seed round that's between, you know, two and $3 million. 12 months later, you're going to raise a 10 to $15 million a round. 18 months later, you're running, you know, there, there's just this formula. And we decided, no, we, we weren't going to be that. We were going to build a healthy business that could scale. And, um, that had pros and cons. I won't say it's all been great. We didn't just like buck the system and say have success because to be honest, what we ended up learning is if you don't spend time in Silicon Valley, it'll be very hard to make relationships when it comes to later stage. So I guess maybe to succinctly answer that and give you a chance to tee up another question, I would say I'm really proud that we built a healthy business first, good margins, understood what problem we were going to solve, scaled it, and then we raised capital and built that West Coast company. And to give you a heads up on the layout, we're in 35, 40 different states. We just like to pay a lot of taxes in a lot of different states, I guess, nowadays. And uh, in four different countries, that's the US, Australia, UK, and Canada. So um, anyway, it, it, it's been a long journey. I do think, you know, our Baltimore upbringing, DC upbringing, but um, you you can't, I, I wouldn't say you could grow a whole business on that. Silicon Valley has a lot of experience. And if you uh, kind of just want to buck that trend and ignore their success, like you're going to learn a lot of failures that you could have just stood on the shoulders of giants out there. And so I think we we've done a hybrid fairly well. I'll ask one more question about, about sort of the earlier days and, and then would love to, to get to current day and, you know, business model and, and, and functions and the types of customers and, and through the channel that, that, that you serve. Um, you'd mentioned your, your co-founder, co-founders, um, when, when you all came together to, to build what is now Huntress, how did you, how did you think about complementary skill sets often when there are teams out of, out of the military or the government, people, people sometimes have fairly similar skill sets and, and then fairly similar gaps, right? I mean, if you've been in the government for a long time, you, you haven't. I see this on teams all the time, raising seed rounds where they are a lopsided team. Um, so we were aware that um, that is a problem. We spoke to enough founders and I, I owe a lot of my early success on to some of the founders that helped shepherd me, right? Sometimes people locally who had, you know, done public companies, but I tried to focus on the ones that were successful, not the ones that marketed they were successful. And that's a, there's a subtle difference there, but where I'm going with it is we realized that a team is one, just like your spouse, if you, you know, for anybody that's married, husband, wife, et cetera. Um, it's not about what your compliments are. It's how do you compliment each other's gaps? Like my wife compliments a lot of my gaps. She is the house CEO for certain and, uh, you know, beats me into shape. And where I'm going with this is as founders, we had enough complementary skill sets. For instance, Chris, 
he had, when he did his other company, he built an actual app and it was scalable and it was based in the cloud, which it was a good timing since AWS was really picking up in, you know, 2015 when we started building the company. So he was the obvious choice for CTO. When looking at my other co-founder, John, he's always the, the, you know, quietest, but smartest guy in the room, but you can't have a quiet CEO. And for me, I had learned enough about sales and pitching through, like I was doing the black hat trainings and DEF CON presentations and stuff like that, that, you know, my mouth at the end of the day gave me quite the edge to be the CEO. Um, but we had to fill gaps. Like the military, for instance, does not prepare you for financial acumen. And I'm not saying you need an MBA. You, I actually would argue in many ways you don't need an MBA. But if you don't learn how like unit economics work, especially SaaS margins, if you're going to build a product, um, being able to predict forward multiples, like you're going to be at a disadvantage. And that's where you could use some of that GI bill if you went enlisted or if you're an officer while you're still in using some of your time when you have that big choice. Do I do war college and go for 06 or do I uh, decide to maybe you know, do something else with my, my college training. I would argue if you're thinking about leaving, I mean, war college is an awesome honor, but maybe you consider like getting that financial chops because the military, unless you work in acquisitions, it does not prepare you for that. And thankfully I had that middle step of my defense contracting company that I had to learn. Like it was the best tasting fire hose, but it was still a fire hose ready. Um, but that was one of the big gaps that because none of us as founders had that, it was a gap across the board. Me and Chris really spun up on those complementary pieces, how to build product. And since Chris and I had clear lanes, John was also able to compensate in his free time to what could he, skills he could grab. Uh, because running a board, for instance, and putting votes, and more importantly, finding inspiration and good mentors to cover our gaps, we just were not prepared when we, you know, if I would have jumped straight from the service to Huntress. And, and flashing forward to current day, you've mentioned the team's about 150 people now. You're, you're really working to transfer knowledge and empower your leaders throughout the business. Could you, could you tell us what, just some about your, your business model? You've mentioned reaching, re reaching companies and people outside the enterprise, outside the most sophisticated um, professionals in, 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 in the business. What, T talk a bit about the, the the business model as it is today and, and where you're headed. Yeah, I'll, I'll flex a little bit of those uh, business chops I, I've grown since uh, leaving, even leaving the National Guard side of the life. Um, to be frank, we knew we wanted to mess up hackers. We knew that was, but that's not a business model. To be honest, that's, that's not much other than motivation. It turns out you got to find that pain point. And so one of the biggest things we realized we were going to go and make a difference to small and mid-sized businesses. So being the very like extrovert, one of the founders, I was the guy they put on the phones and they were like, Hey, let's just start calling local businesses to see what they think. And my pitch Randy was something like, hi, I'm Kyle. I've once won this really big hacking competition out at DEF CON capture the flag. That doesn't mean much to you, but I promise that means I'm a really good hacker. Sometimes I would just get hung up there. So you didn't have to figure out your pitch and be like, hey, I'm a budding entrepreneur that's really good at cybersecurity, but I really don't know much about building products. Can you give me some feedback? Uh, that was hit or miss. I then got better at like stalking on LinkedIn, learning who is a better, nowadays they call it an ICP, ideal customer persona. Back then I was just like, oh, I'm an Intel analyst. Let's go find a target is what I would call them. It was a terrible analogy, but it's a good example of like how I was adapting military skills into doing something with real world. And about the fifth call in the row, 
where the smaller mid-sized business said like, hey, Kyle, I really like what you and your team are doing. By the way, cool name of your company. I don't even have my own IT department. I outsource it. And it turns out you get enough of those patterns, you're able to be like, oh, should I go talk to these IT outsourcers? And that's where we started getting, even though that that's what later became product fit, that subtle moment of failure, right? Of getting out there and not being afraid to like, just get told you're an idiot over and over. And thankfully the better I got, the nicer people got it telling me I was an idiot. Uh, you know, it, it made me realize that if I could close one of these IT outsourcers, by the way, they, they typically call themselves a service provider or a managed service provider. If I could close one of those businesses, instead of getting just one mid-sized business or one small business, I could get 20 to 100 businesses all in one deal by closing an outsourcer. And that was a big, because if you think about one to many, you know, for those that aren't tracking, there's 32, this is as of the latest census, 32 million U.S. small and mid-sized businesses. Think about how, how, how can you go? Like people will spend their whole lives going after the Fortune 500. How do you go after 32 million? And so that was like a light moment for me where I was like, whoa, if I could use this one to many strategy, I could make a big difference here. And by that time, I stopped saying, hey, I'm just trying to F up hackers and I was saying stuff along the lines of, look, I know that you struggle to hire senior IT and security people because they want to go work for great enterprise companies like a CrowdStrike or a Sentinel One or some of those, you know, in, in our local area, right? We had Tenable. That's where those senior people wanted to work. And so I realized they had a retention problem and that helped shape like, oh, I can mess up hackers by helping manage their security. Nowadays, I can succinctly say Huntress has a managed security platform that will help you protect, detect, and respond to the nastiest incidents out there at a price you can afford, you know, without the experts that you can't, you know, retain. I can say that succinctly because I've had six years of getting the crap kicked out of me on bad phone calls, but that like little subtle things like that of now that I'm able to, we, we go and no joke, we, we meet a hundred plus new service providers every uh, month. And we add a hundred plus service providers every month. That's over a thousand new businesses we add every month into our platform. You know, um, we're talking, you know, over a million endpoints under management at this stage. Uh, it truly is hyper growth. But again, overnight six year success, right? Overnight six year success. And 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 Kyle, I, I'd love to 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 talk quickly about you. You mentioned you, Kyle co-founder and CEO have had six and a half years of learning and iterating and getting better on your pitch. How, what would love to hear about your go-to-market team. Like, you know, not, not everyone gets to say, hi, I'm Kyle. I'm the CEO and co-founder, you know, you know, and, and can, can kind of, how have you thought about this kind of knowledge transfer or empowering the, the people and the leaders throughout Huntress on the go-to-market side, and I mean, curious too about your, you know, continued, uh, you know, gr growth and and how, how the product keeps keeps evolving products. But on 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 the sales and go-to-market side, how has that worked? Um, building a real team there. Yeah. So it turns out this is where, like, especially most people, if you have like high esprit de corps where you were working, or you know, especially as prior service or in the defense contracting world. That culture, that want to be part of a bigger mission, that is viral no matter where you're at, especially in the, the civilian world that doesn't work with the military. 
there's just some sexy allure. And, you know, some people might talk about stolen valor, right? People that go and make out, but there's just something about the military that so few people can actually qualify to go in. You know, it generally is, you know, less than 3% of the population. Sometimes it gets down to 1% of the population can be in the military. And that's, uh, there is something special just about your story. If you can, and the, you know, a salesperson would say, sell it. I would say, if you could show it, not tell it. What I mean by that is, our Huntress, our mission is to secure the 99% of businesses that fall below the enterprise poverty line. And what's nice about that is people can see that is such a big, lofty North Star. Like, think about it. Will Huntress ever secure? Like, we're over 60,000 businesses that we protect, detect, respond to. But that's nowhere close to 32 million. I have no clue if we'll ever get to 32 million. But by having such a lofty goal, and that's, by the way, think of armed services, protecting, defend the Constitution of the United States. That is a huge goal that is challenged every day, both, you know, by foreign and domestic threats. But that motivates us. It gets us fired up. And those little things of showing that and bringing that into your culture. And we're not a hardcore military culture, but we do run the team with pieces that we've learned through the military. And so when people feel like, hey, you know, at Huntress, we're a little bit stealthy. We're a little bit shady. We got a little bit of that hacker, you know, intelligent swagger. If you were in, for instance, logistics, you could have your own equivalent. If you were, you know, somebody on the service line or somebody on a boat, you have your own unique pieces and bringing that into your culture story are so much, I would argue they're almost more important than what your product actually is. And the reason for it is people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it, right? That's why Simon Sinek does so well with his books. There's several other ones, you know, that out there and podcasts and TED Talks on this. And you finding how to take your like, your why and threading it into your culture, also evolving other people's cultures that are coming from it. It just makes this really powerful thing that people can rally behind. And, um, you know, anyways, I, I just, I hope I did my best to, you know, to really state and maybe even overstate just how important that, uh, you know, bringing that story together is for success. And it's sometimes not all about the technology and product. That that is very well said. That is that is really well said and understandable why why teams are excited to work, why people are excited to work at Huntress and then can share that that energy with your uh with your your customers um and and, and clients. Kyle, we're 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 gonna move into a wrap-up here in a minute, but before we do, this is March 2022. This this is far, far from a political podcast. However, I'm sure that you are getting many questions about what the, 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 the world that you, Kyle, understand as well or better than anyone, which is um, what do current events in, in, in Russia and, and their invasion in Ukraine mean for prospective increased cyber attacks in 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 the coming weeks and months, I, I am not asking you to be a pundit uh, by 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 any means. But um, a, any uh, any any thoughts uh, or or a, any thoughts you have on that? Um, I, the, the, these podcasts are meant to be evergreen, highlighting successful military vets who are now successful military uh, or are successful tech entrepreneurs. But Given what's going on in the world today, would 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 love any any views of yours on on that issue? Yeah, so I, I love to give a little bit different point of view than most people. So there's no doubt, like from me, who's been a whole career in foreign intelligence and foreign, 
know, let's be real. The implants I used to create, another government would call that malware. So when you talk about Russia or Ukraine and what they're doing, ransomware, et cetera, uh, a lot of people went and immediately jumped to the obvious of, oh, this could be one of the first cyber wars. Cyber will you know, play a much bigger part in it. And I do agree with that. And we are seeing that. But there is actually a whole other different perspective, uh, Rennie, that I want to share with your audience. It's kind of unique. And part of being in the military is being objective. And so what's really interesting is although a lot of like our more municipal, like smaller regional power and electricity, they have seen some uptick in the last kind of two years leading up to this conflict from some of like the Russian actors and some of the folks that would have interest in going after critical infrastructure. But believe it or not, in the mid-sized business and small business world, we've actually seen a downturn in cybercrime. And the reality is a lot of cybercrime, not all, and it would, you know, you don't paint with broad strokes, comes out of Russia and comes out of Ukraine and some in Belarus and some Romania, et cetera. But it turns out is when they're hacking and fighting each other for freedom, we as Western countries sometimes see a downturn and the media is not really talking about this. But since I have 60,000 businesses under management, we can tell you we actually are seeing less cybercrime right now. And even the nation state actors, they don't wait for a war to happen. They do what's called cyber preparation of the environment or preparation of the battlefield. And they're there years before. So to be frank, um, despite, yes, there has been an uptick in certain, you know, targeted infrastructure that's important, you know, more geopolitical uh, infrastructure. Most U.S. business and even just like Western business, um, there could always be the boogeyman scaring somebody, telling them, hey, you've got a threat, but it's 2022. You're always under threat every day anyways. I personally don't believe Russia, you know, all of a sudden grew 10,000 more hackers to come after you just because they were going into this. They had their own capability. And to be honest, they're caught up. Uh, with it said, I still think most companies are behind the standards of what it takes to even run a company in 2010. So I would say like, that's not your past to like, not go and catch up on your, your defense wise. But uh, yeah, I, I've really not seen a big increase on cybercrime at all. I mean, we're actually seeing a decrease. So hopefully that was a cool tidbit to share of when you get the telemetry we get, you can sometimes not dispel, but give a slightly different perspective on what's actually happening out there. Right. I think that is that is a great perspective and certainly not the conventional wisdom or what people who are not as deep in it as you and your company are in it um, might think think may happen as as a result. So so thank you for sharing that. Kyle, as as we wrap up here, I like to wrap up talking about what you learned in the military that put you ahead as an entrepreneur, where you were behind. You've done a, a really terrific job addressing that throughout this podcast. So as 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 we wrap up here, Kyle, and, and thank you again for your time, is there just anything else you'd like to share on those two topics or, or related topics as to our audience and specifically military veterans considering starting a new business, particularly a tech business? Any any closing thoughts on, on, on that topic that, that you've already made some really good points on? I will say uh, I owe a lot to Air Force's core values are integrity first, service before self, excellence in all you do. And it turns out the ones that carried with me into our company, uh, transparency and integrity still come up the top. Uh, you know, it's the biggest differentiator, meaning we don't hide financials from our teams. Like when I have a board meeting on the Friday, last Friday of the month, the first town hall Tuesday of the month, which is the first Tuesday of the month, 
we share all those unredacted with our team, like a public company would. And it turns out I, the, my biggest piece of advice to all budding entrepreneurs would be quit pretending that your idea is so secret you don't want to share it. You're actually giving yourself an enormous disadvantage. I would say go so transparent. And if somebody takes your simple idea and recreates it really quick, you knew it wasn't defensible in the beginning, right? That's a good way to check you. And so I would actually encourage more entrepreneurs do away with the NDAs, do away with the, oh, they could just recreate that. If you're, again, uh, if your idea is going to withhold the sands of time, you need to be public about it. Your team will be public and that transparency will get you much further ahead, the better advice you get. Um, and from a guy who, if I think back to my tech accelerator that I went through, many companies probably could have gotten further instead of going out of business if they would have adopted that mentality early on. So um, I hope everybody keeps fighting the good fight transitions or, you know, makes that jump from the military uh, successfully. And again, uh, Rennie, I really appreciate you having me on here. Give me a chance to share my story. Kyle, thank you so much again. Really appreciated it. Learned a lot today and congrats again on all of your and Huntress's success. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, man.